Good morning, everyone. I'm very thankful for this opportunity to open God's word with you. And uh, I want to start out with a question. And that's this. Uh, what is love? Well, I'm going to have you look at a picture. Can we show the picture? All right. This is a picture of Terry and I uh, shortly after we got married. Some people look at the picture and they say, oh, you look like leprechauns. <laughs> yes, I fell in love with her big red hair. And I'm still in love with her. But what happens many times when we're early on in our relationship, whether it's um, a new relationship with someone, or we're engaged to someone, or we're newly married, uh, many times, what does that look like? It looks like we would say love is uh, a romantic, physical, um, emotional attraction that we have to that person, right? And um, we would say things like, oh, you know what? She completes me. Oh, when I'm around her, I am just a better person. Oh, when I'm around that person, I like myself more. But the reality is, is that's actually quite selfish because it's all about how I feel about myself because I'm around them. And that is, that is in contrast, sharp contrast, to, to God's love. God's love is, is self-sacrificing and giving and doing so with, without expecting some reciprocation and doing so without that person like earning it in some way or deserving it. We give it freely. And it, that is, the example of that is so bound up in what we see in Jesus Christ that he came and he's the ultimate definition of what love is because of what he said and what he did and what he continues to do in our lives. And so that sacrificial love is what love truly is. And that is what we need to understand if we're going to love one another. And we need to understand that because uh, we're commanded in God's word to love one another. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, that's in 1 John chapter 4. So you can find yourself, find your way there to, to 1 John chapter 4. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of a, a, an introduction to John. Um, John is... John is not a Western thinker. He's, a, he's an Eastern thinker, so he's like a circular thinker. So he's going to mention some things, and he's going to mention it again. And you're going to think that, well, is he repeating himself? Is Mike repeating himself? And, and in some ways I am, but each time I say it, it's going to be something just a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper until he gets to his point. Okay? So just be patient. So if we take a look at um, 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 7 and 8. Beloved. You know what? I want to stop for a second. You know how many times he says beloved in these 15, or loved in these 15 verses that we're going to read? 29 times. Okay? So I want you to pay attention to that each time we mention the word love. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, because anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
God is love. Now, you can't turn that around and uh, say it the other way, that uh, love is God, because that, that's not how it works. And the other thing we want to look at here, too, is in verse 7, he's saying, let us love one another. Now, he's not saying, let us love each other, like, let's go to the store because we're out of milk, right? He's saying, let us love one another, like, let's get after this. It's a command. It's what we're to do. But he's saying it in a gentle way. And later he's going to say it in a harder way. And so what we're going to see is that this is a love one another sandwich, okay? And so he's going to start out with that, and he's going to end with that. That's his argument. But in the middle, he's going to use all of the pieces together to help us understand this love one another command sandwich, okay? So the first thing you can write down is this, love one another because God loves you. And what did he say in verse 8? He said, because God is love. God is love. That is his essence. That is his nature. That's who he is. Now, we can't say love is God. Oh, love is everything. Because love doesn't encompass all of the attributes of God. God is also just. God is faithful. God is gracious. And so we can't say that, that love is God. But we can say that God is love. Because that is who he is. It's just like earlier in um, the book of 1 John, he said that God is light. Because that is a part of who God is. And so, we can also write this down. Love one another because God loves you. Because God is love. And love comes from God. Now, if we take a look at um, Psalm 63. And I am in verse 3. Psalm 63, verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. God's love is better than life. It's better than anything in this world. So it's not from this world. It's from God himself. And so it doesn't come from anyone other than God. So love comes from God. And then you can also write this down. Love one another because God loves you, because God is love. And love proves that we know him. Now, John said that the one who loves is born of God. Now, this kind of perplexed me because what's he saying? Is he saying that people who aren't believers, who aren't Christians, that they can't love? But I believe we need to go back to the Garden of Eden. When God created man, he created man in his image, and God is love. And so man, reflecting God's image, is capable of loving, even those who aren't believers. But the love that they show is a selfish love, like I was talking about in the beginning. It's a love that's incomplete. You can't have God's complete love until you totally understand who God is, and he comes into your life. We can have Outside of God, you can have kind of common grace type of love. But when you are born of God, then his love is poured out into you and into your heart. Um, let's look at Romans 5, 5. 
Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts that the Holy Spirit, who, through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So we have God's love, and it's poured into us by God's Holy Spirit. And so when we know God, when we're born of God, then that love through the Holy Spirit is poured into us, and then that's what we're able to use to love other people. That love's poured in so that we can pour it out and love other people as well. And so unless you have God's love in you, you can't really love with that unselfish, self-giving love that God wants to use in and through you until this Holy Spirit is in you, allowing you to love other people in that same way. And then you can manifest, truly manifest, the love of God for others. And so you can write this down as well. Love one another because God so loved you. And I'm going to read verses 9 through 11. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The most loving thing that God could do for us was to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross so that we could be forgiven and so that we could have a restored relationship with him. God, our Father, initiated that relationship with us while we were still his enemy, while we, while we were still sinners. And Jesus came as a propitiation for our sins. Well, that's a hard word, propitiation. What it means is God came and he paid for the wages of our sin. God is holy and he is just and his anger burns against sin and it has to be punished. And that is God's wrath. God's wrath says that the wages of sin is death. And so when man sins, he deserves death he deserves to go to hell. But God had another plan, propitiation. Okay, Jason, can you come up? I'm going to have you be, um, help me, help everyone and our, myself even, understand propitiation. Okay? So, this is, this is who we are, right? We are selfish. Sorry, Jason. You're selfish. Um, you know what? You're gossip, too. You're gossip. And you know what? You know, I'm, I'm sick of you complaining all the time. All right? And then I see you around here, and you're just grumbling at stuff. That's you, that's me, before Christ comes. We are sinners. This is who we are. And this is what's happening in our lives. 
But God had another plan. We, should, we deserve to die and be punished in hell for who we are and what we've done. But instead, God had another solution. He had his son, Jesus, come, and he lived the perfect, sinless life. And he died as a substitute for you and me on a cross as a sinner. And when he died on that cross, his blood was spilled out so that by faith, you put this on? So that by faith, his blood would cover us. And so now when God looks at us, he no longer sees us and our sin, but he sees the blood of Jesus Christ, right? So, because God so loved you, he gave you life and a relationship. He gave you a relationship again through Jesus Christ so that you were restored to have a relationship with God. But here's the other thing. Because God so loved you, he forgave you. But I want you to understand something about propitiation. He didn't just cover you with Jesus so that you could be forgiven of your sins. What he did was he reached underneath and he took this sin, every one of them, sorry, some of these sins don't really want to come off, Jason. <laughs> Clinging to sin. When Jesus came, he didn't just forgive us. He came and he paid the price for every one of these sins. The wrath of God was burned and turned on him, and he paid the price for you to be forgiven and so that you don't have to worry about this wrath coming back to you. He was the substitute. He paid for us, and we are forgiven. All right. Thanks, Jason. You're welcome. Now, the love that God has for us, that he came and died for us in our place, when we understand that love, that should compel us to love other people when we have a deeper and better understanding of what that is. Verse 11 says this. Beloved, if God so loved you, we ought to love one another. That's how God loved us. We ought to love one another in that same way. Now, you can also write this down. Love one another because God abides in you and his love is perfected in you. I'm going to read from verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. 
Love one another because God abides in you and his love is perfected in you. And how do we know that God abides in us? He gave us two reasons. He said, we know that we abide in him, in the Lord, when we have his spirit. How do we know that we're abiding? We have his spirit. When we come to know the Lord, when we become a believer in Jesus Christ and that he saved us, in that same moment, God places in us his Holy Spirit. And we know that we have that Holy Spirit because of what the Holy Spirit begins to do in our lives. The, the first thing that the Holy Spirit does, he begins to convict us of sin. And so as he convicts us of sin, we begin to turn away from those things. And not only that, it reminds us of what we read in the Bible. It reminds us what Jesus says. And as we read that, it guides us and helps us to live the right life. But also this, as we, as we study God's word, as we spend time in prayer, the Holy Spirit just continues to work in and through us so that we begin to show the fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5, 22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, Right? Isn't that what God is doing? He is allowing the Spirit to work in us so that the fruit of the Spirit is able to show through that. And if we truly belong to Him, we'll begin to show the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 14, John says for the third time that he sent, God sent Jesus. Okay? First in verse 9, he said that God sent Jesus. Um, so that we could live. And then we read that he sent Jesus so that he would be a propitiation. And now we just read that the Father sent the Son so he would be the Savior of the world, so that he would be our Savior. And so you see that John's starting to do what I talked about. He's kind of repeating himself, right? But he's coming around in a circle, and as he does that, he gets deeper and deeper, and it adds more to get to his point. And what he also adds here, too, is that he said that he has seen and testifies. He wants you and I to know that he saw Jesus. He wants you to know he saw Jesus on the cross and bled and died for you. He wants you to know that he saw the risen Lord. He wants you to know that that's a historical fact. Jesus came and he died for you. It's real. And that is why we can have confidence. And that is why we can turn to him. We know that we abide in him when we have his spirit and when we confess Jesus as Savior. You can write that down. Verse 15 says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. John wants us to see what happens when we believe in Jesus, when we trust in Jesus as a Savior, and that, that self-sacrificing love now enters us and we have the capacity to love other people with that same kind of love. 
And so I, I ask you do, you, do you have a time when you confess to Christ? I'm going to tell you my story just real quick. Before my senior year in college, I was driving to work at Silver Cross Hospital. And on my way there, a man went through a stop sign right in front of me. I couldn't stop. I hit him. Literally went to find out if he got a ticket for going through the stop sign. When I went to go find out, they told me they couldn't tell me anything because there was a fatality in that accident. The gentleman died that night. And you know what? I, I was somebody who practiced my religion. I was somebody who went to Mass every Sunday. I was somebody who went to confession. I was somebody who went to things called Stations of the Cross where you did all of these special prayers. I was a religious person. I thought that I was a good person too. I volunteered and I, I went to, to help different people. I, I worked in an autistic school as a volunteer. And I thought, I'm a good person. How could this happen to me? And you know what? Even though this was an accident, I felt the guilt and the shame of that as though I were a murderer. And I felt like God had somehow duped me. God had led me to think, to believe that if I did these things, I could get to heaven. And now this thing happened, and I'm never going to get to heaven. I'm condemned to hell. And I'm a good person. And that made me mad. But in my anger, I began to think, I, I need to find out who this God is. So I found the Bible and I began to read it. I found out that Jesus loved me and that Jesus forgave me. I started to listen to a Christian radio station. It was a black gospel station. And I began to realize I never was a good person. I, I was caught up in pornography. I was an alcohol and a binge drinker. And I needed a savior. I just needed something this big to slap me in the face to realize I need a savior. And so when that preacher began to pray, I knelt at my bedside and I prayed with him. And when I got up, all of the guilt was gone. The Holy Spirit entered in and began to convict me and I began to step away from alcohol. I began to step away from pornography and all of my other selfishness. Now, I'm still a work in progress, right? Aren't we all? But in that moment, I fully understood the love of God for me. And when we fully grasp and understand God's love, his incredible, incredible love for us, that he would die in our place so that we could be set free from sin and death. And how could we not love him back? How could we not love our brothers and sisters in the church? Does it sound familiar? Love God, love other people, right? The greatest commandment, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then second, like love your brothers and sisters as yourself. God's love should compel you to not only love God, but to love other people. Verse 16 says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You can write this down. Love one another because God abides in you, and his love is perfected in you. 
going to read verse 12. I'm kind of skipping back because remember, John's kind of a circular thinking. I'm trying to make it as linear as I can, otherwise it's hard to understand. But I'm going to go back to 12. So no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And now I'm reading from verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love one another because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has, who, who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. We know that his love is perfected in us when his perfect love cast out our fear of judgment. First, he lets us know that perfect love cast out fear. Some of you are saying, well, I remember some other scripture, Proverbs 1-7, that says, um, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That has to do with awe and wonder, the fear and awe of God. What we're talking about here is is that you don't have to fear judgment. When you know Jesus Christ as Savior, when you know his saving love in your life, then you don't have to be afraid of the judgment to come. Because remember, Jesus paid for the wrath of your sin. And when he paid for the wrath of your sin, God's not going to come back and say, oh, there's a little piece Jesus missed, and you're going to need to pay for it. No. And God doesn't ask for double payment on anything. Christ's payment for your sin, him taking your wrath, is sufficient. It's enough. It will not come back to you. And on the day of judgment, when Jesus returns, you don't have to be afraid because you are in Christ and you will not be judged for your sin. The wrath has already been paid for. This also frees us up to share our struggles, to share our burdens. Because we don't have to be, if, I don't have to be afraid to share my struggles and my sin with you. Because God's not going to ask me to pay for that. There might be some consequences to my sin. But I don't have to be afraid to confess that before the Lord. And I shouldn't be afraid to confess that before you. But here's the reality. Many of us are. Not because we're afraid of God, but we're afraid of men and women, other people in the church, and what they'll think of us, right? When a fellow believer comes to us and they confess sin, it's our job to walk alongside them gently, to help them, to guide them back to the Lord, that they might have a restored relationship with him. In Galatians 6.1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, 
You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And now watch this. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You're not any better than them. If you were in that same situation, you might be in their shoes right now. You could be caught in the exact same thing that they are. It's not your place to judge them. That's God's place, and he's already paid for it. Your place is to lovingly come alongside them, to guide them and direct them back to the Lord, to encourage them to abide in Christ, to encourage them to allow the Holy Spirit to convict them and to change their lives, and to change them into the image of Jesus Christ. When we become a loving community where people can open up about what they're really struggling with, then we are going to be a community that really allows people to flourish and grow and mature in the Lord. Church should be a safe place for you to do that. Verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. We have the capacity to love others because God loved us first while we were still an enemy. So, we know that his love is perfected in us when his perfect love cast out our fear of judgment. And you can write this down too. We know that his love is perfected in us when we pass the love one another test. This is the second way we know that God's love is perfected in us when we love one another. Right? What he was saying before that is that if, if we're not able to love our brother and sister who we can see, then how can we say that we love God who we can't see? If I'm not willing to love the person I can see, who's a brother and sister in the Lord, then I need to ask myself, do I really know the Lord? He's saying, maybe you're not really a believer. Now, does this mean that I, as a believer, I can't ever do something selfish against a brother or sister? No. What this means is, if I am consistently not loving my wife, not loving my kids, not loving my brothers and sisters in the Lord, then I seriously need to ask myself, do I know Jesus as Savior? Do I know the love of God? Does God's love really abide in me? This past summer, Terry and I had an argument. And for her, it ended in tears. But she didn't want anybody to see that she was crying. So she left the house and went for a walk. Well, I was wanting to find her so that um, I could resolve the conflict. What I really mean is I wanted to find her so that I could give her my points and show why I'm right. But she was gone, so I couldn't do that. And so I waited and waited, and she didn't come home, and I just got more angry. And so finally she comes home, and I can see that she's teary-eyed. And I look at her, 
And I say, I see you're done with your pity party, you're finally home. I said that. Me. The love of God is in me and fills me. And yet my own selfishness is what was filling me up at that moment. And my selfishness is what came spilling out. But we need to remember that God's love is what abides in us. And when we are filling ourselves up with God's love, when we are spending time with him, then that is what is coming out. When we're abiding in him, God's love, his sacrificial love for one another is what's spilling out. So what's spilling out of you? When somebody comes, your husband, your wife, your kids, and they know how to press every single button, what comes spilling out of you? Is it the love of Christ or is it your selfishness? And when that does come out, as it did with me, do you humble yourself? Yes, in that moment I realized I was an idiot. Do you humble yourself and do you realize how far you are, how wrong you are, and where God is calling you to be? Do you ask for forgiveness? How about this? Do you need to rethink something because you were talking to someone and you thought the worst about what they were saying or about someone rather than thinking the best about them and drawing your own conclusions? Let's try to outdo one another in our walk of obedience to love one another. You can write this down. Love one another because God commands it. I'm reading from verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John has just given us this beautiful argument where he said that um, God so loved us and that is why we should love one another. And then he talks about because God abides in us, we have God in us, his love is perfected in us, and we ought to love one another. God commands us now, this is a command, and this command, remember I said this was, this was a, a love one another sandwich, a command sandwich, so he laid on the first piece of bread kind of soft, and now he's putting it on hard, because this is the final piece of the argument. Church, we are to love one another. We are to be an authentic community that loves one another. We need to be willing to love one another through good and bad, through struggles and difficulties. I believe one of Satan's biggest tricks in the church is this. He makes us all think that we're fine. Or we know that we're not fine, but we just tell everybody we're fine. But here's the reality. If we are taking the time to pursue Christ, then he is actually working in our lives to show us the things in us that need to change. 
And as he shows us the things inside us that need to change, we, we need to share that with other people. Because he's revealing that so that we can work on that. And if we just tell everybody we're fine, then we aren't going to get anywhere with that because we need community. God wants us to examine ourselves, live a lifestyle of examining ourselves so that he can mold us and shape us into the image of his son. He has given us his word and he's given us his Holy Spirit to help us and he's poured in his love in us to be able to do that but he also gives us a community brothers and sisters to be able to help us to take a look at what's really going on that when we are really open and honest and we disclose what's going on in our lives then God can begin to work in that through our brothers and sisters because we begin to have real accountability not because we're just asking for it, but because it naturally flows from us being open and honest about what's really going on in our lives. The transformational process can take place because we're allowing others in. How terrible would it be, right, if, if we all began to really share what we're going through and we're struggling with and start to actually stop and being pray for one another? What would that look like in the church? What a great place. That is who we are encouraged in this passage to be. The kind of people that walk alongside each other in love. To encourage one another in that transformational process. So that we can be supportive to other people when they're struggling. Now, I don't mean this either. I don't mean somebody comes to you and they share something they're struggling with. And you, you, you thump them with the Bible and say, well, don't you know this verse? And don't you know that's what you're supposed to do? No. I mean, you talk to them in a loving way, and you say, have you ever considered what God says about this? And how does that affect you? And what do you think God's calling you to do? And then help them, walk alongside them, and to support them so that they can grow. This is what we want to see happen in our grow groups, even. And so... In your grow group, are you being open and honest about what you're really facing in life and, and where things are for you? And fellow grow group members, are you really being there and being supportive to help those who are willing to open up and to care for them and to have a compassionate heart to walk alongside them uh, through whatever difficult time they have? And hey, maybe you're not going to a grow group. Well, you know what? If you have the means to be able to go online or to go there in person, go. You're part of a loving community. And that community wants to walk alongside you as you walk with Christ so that you can be changed into the image of Christ. And I know that this is a time when lots of people are isolated. I, I understand that. But don't allow that isolation to isolate you from the community. Don't wait for people to call you up to talk to you. God initiated a relationship with you when you were still a sinner. Initiate a relationship with other people where you're supporting and loving them. Call them, text them, email them. Don't feel like you're just all alone at home. Reach out to other people and build community. I want to close with, with, with something, a gift. Husbands, I want to give you a gift for Valentine's Day. Okay? 
Husbands, your wives want you to express God's love to them. Your wives want you want to know that you cherish them and that you love them. They want you, husbands, to sit down with them and to share your thoughts. They want you to share your hopes. They want you to share your dreams. They want you to share what God is changing and working in you as you read his Bible, his word. So husbands, take time to share that with your wife. She's dying for that because that helps her have a deep, intimate relationship with you. And God calls us to have an intimate relationship. Wives, encourage your husbands. Make it a point to let them know when they do something right. Okay. Let them know that you appreciate them, that you support them, and you respect them and um, that you respect when they make the right choices. But also let them know that you um, love them and that you forgive them for the times that they don't, okay? And so, ladies, if you do that, that will go a long way for us too, okay? So, hey, it, it is actually Valentine's Day, and so here's the challenge for us to outdo one another in the way that we love one another with the self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ. And so let's allow that incredible love that God has for us spill out into the lives of those who are around us. And let's wake up tomorrow and let's do it again, and then again, and again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you we thank you for your, your son, who you sent from heaven to die in our place, to be a substitute, to take away the wrath for our sin, the punishment for our sin, so that we could have a relationship with you, so that you could love us, so that you could pour your love into our hearts, so that then we could have that incredible love inside us, so that that incredible love is what comes out as we love one another. And so, Father, help us to know how to love one another and support one another as you work through your Holy Spirit and through our community to change us and to mold us into the image of your Son, that in and through that, Lord, you would give yourself great glory. And we pray this in your name, Jesus.